Hello and welcome to some Derps Talk About Games. I'm your co-host, Mango. And I am your co-host, Buddy. And today we're going to talk a little bit more about alignment. But before we do that, Buddy, why don't you tell the folks at home what it is we do on this podcast? On this podcast, we like to talk about games. So if you tuned in last week, uh, we did alignments kind of as like philosophy and as like a... Like as a storytelling tool and like a character creation tool, like all of the all of the kind of um, you know like flavorful aspects of 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 you know the cross section between lawful and chaos and good and evil. This week, uh, we were hoping to talk a little bit about how mechanics interface with the alignment system, and this is kind of the point that I think people turn on the alignment system, right? Like. I, the like, in, insofar as the argument for the alignments being good is something along the lines of it creates a really quick and easy way to identify, like, broad philosophies and outlook for characters, right? It helps uh, players think more about the kinds of characters that they are playing um, and, uh, and kind of engage more with, with like, alternate, uh, you know, like, moralities or worldviews or ideologies, kind of, like, whatever, right? Like, all of those things are things that are contained kind of within, like, the alignment as descriptor, right, category. Uh, whereas it is also, in Pathfinder, a true blue mechanic, right? Where what alignment you are will affect different... In combat, you know, whether or not somebody could hit you or whether or not you can hit somebody, you know, and all of those kinds of things. And I think that that is the, pro the, the point where most people say, yeah, I don't think the alignment system is great. Well, I, I think I'd agree with that sentiment um, for the most part on, on my end. What, what do you think, buddy? Yeah, no, this is absolutely where it is. And it's not actually and, – and here's my, here's my thesis, right? Here's, here's the, the coup de grace that I have brought which is mostly just kind of a like a malformed thought that is in my head. Um, I think the the mechanics themselves are actually kind of okay. It's just that they are explicitly tied to alignments that makes them the problem. I think if you just sub out and you say, you know, instead of good versus evil, it's holy versus unholy, and instead of law versus chaos, it's like I don't know. Like order versus entropy or some shit, you know, you know what I mean. And you just make them two entirely different systems that are not interfacing with one another. You have alignments as like a description for kind of who your character is or whatever, and then you have this stuff, which which you know, protection from evil is now protection from unholy, right? And that includes devils and shit or whatever um, that are like popping out of the you know, popping out and, like, doing stuff. Because I think that those mechanics are actually pretty cool and interesting. And insofar as we do have, you know, archons and devils and demons and stuff like that, I think them being kind of alignment-based creatures is also very cool and interesting. Um, but I don't think that it that stuff has a lot of business being so tightly bound to uh to the alignments as we as we have them so i actually think i agree with you but i'm going to disagree with you on kind of like i agree with you in kind of concept but i disagree with you in an implementation maybe um because i i think you've got the heart of it right which is that um is is, is that the binding is kind of weird um but i think that the, the solution isn't necessarily to rename it it's to approach it with a different attitude right because the reason i think this is set up this way is not because you can't think of a better name for, like, 
um, protection against, you know, protection from, like, devils or the undead or whatnot. Um, because I think, like, the, the fantasy that this is trying to encompass is kind of, like, a, a good force um, uh, kind of musters its will, and the force of that will and the force of goodness drives off the darkness in whatever form that that takes. But actually... It's not in whatever form it takes, it's in whatever form it is taking at that moment, right? So, like, um, the, the, the attitude, I think, is that this should be a little bit more of, uh, of kind of like a, a disconnect between the spell name in the system and what it is in lore, right? Like, a protect, like, um, protection from evil, I think, generally shouldn't be in lore protection from evil, right? It should be protection from demons or protection from uh, devils or whatever, but it always manifests mechanically as protection from evil because there's no point in dividing it out that way. Oh, interesting. Uh, from a mechanic standpoint, right? Like, it can all work that way, but, like, if, you know, you're f there are very few situations where you're going to be, like, facing down, like, a devil, a demon, a skeleton, and, I don't know, some, some, some other being from, like, a, an a evil planar being, and it's, like, you know, if it would feel, like, you really need to use the whole, the whole breadth of protection from evil, uh, and so, like, in flavor, I think it's, you know, like, it's, it's, you know, the light holding back, you know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, uh, what's, what's a good example, uh, like, uh, Iomade holding back a devil, right, like, um, I feel like the cleric that casts protection from evil isn't being like, you know, like, like trying to, to force out the, the general concept of evil. They're trying to force out the devil that's in front of them or whatever. Well, I, th so I do think that that's a rename, but it's a different rename. It is instead of naming the spell protection from evil, you're kind of naming it protection of good. You know what I mean? But like mechanically that manifests as whenever good, you know, like whenever stuff, uh, like whenever evil stuff comes at you. Right. Oh, it's, it's, it is worse. Do you know see, what I mean? Yeah, see, but, but that's kind of like, it's like I, I think kind of like in universe, it it would be protection from evil. It's just protection from the evil that you're currently facing, as you would call it, like you know, like devils be gone or whatever. So um, I so I don't think that that holds up necessarily because like even if I'm not going to fight a skeleton and a demon and a daemon or whatever, like all at the same time. Um, and that would also imply that you would need different spells known. And for something like a sorcerer, right? Like, is he going to get protection from devils, protection from demons? Or, like, demons be gone, devils be gone, whatever. This is all the same spell. So I think, uh, to a certain extent, you kind of have to accept that all of this stuff is, like, rooted in one Oh, so, so I, I'm, saying, I'm saying that this is a, a, a kind of divorce of the mechanics from the lore. Um, right? Like, that the, mechanically, it makes sense to have it all as one spell because... That's simple. You don't have to write seven spell entries, and you know for power reasons, it you don't need to you don't need to like prepare four different types of spells or have four different spells known or whatever, right? But like, kind of in the mind of the character, it's not necessarily this generic, if that makes sense. It's a weird thing to think about with spells because spells usually are pretty tightly tied. Yeah, that's to, that's to, the, to their lore. I don't know how well you can kind of uh, pry those two things apart. Um, but yeah, I also think that like most of this problem goes away if you just get rid of the law order axis variants. Really? Uh, I think, I think that's like kind of the worst problem with these things because like the, 
the protection from let, let, let me let me double check this just to be sure but like let's let's look at protection from evil doesn't it protect from like evil people right it protects from like evil extraplanar beings which is like an, an uh another level i d yeah i i actually don't have a very good sense for um uh, i think it has So the, there's a couple of different things. Um, the second one, I don't actually know how that applies. Because I think I, I like I, I kind of understand what, what you're getting at, and I almost sort of want to say that like. Um, Like, I actually kind of feel like most people shouldn't have alignments that can be exploited, right? Yeah. Um, I think that most people, even if I am a lawful evil person or whatever, like, protection of evil shouldn't necessarily work against me. Yeah. Uh, but I think by raw it does. You know, you're, you're absolutely right. I, I, I was... I was thinking maybe something. So this else. is actually another kind of proposed piece of the change um, from my like is that when you make things kind of holy unholy, I feel as though you adopt holy or unholy specifically, which can give you benefits, can but it can also give you like detriments. So for instance, I think a paladin or a cleric, you know how they have the aura ability that says like you give off an aura of whatever of this yeah. of this alignment. Um, I think that is just that like you just kind of sub in there that says clerics are always holy or they are always unholy and if you're neutral you can choose kind of one or the other sort of thing in the same way that like you have like positive and negative energy you know right. like i feel like all this stuff gets kind of like absorbed into uh like absorbed into this kind of like system rename or like redesign or whatever so like yeah you can use you know protection from good against a cleric or protection from good against a paladin but it doesn't do shit against a ranger do you just too soon too soon i'm saying yeah um or even by I'm, the way I'm, I'm, I, think, I'm, I think there it, it would also be cool to add in like feats or something like if you're a particularly devout whatever maybe you take a feat and it gives you you know the holy or unholy status and like again that could be a strength because now you benefit uh, like, you can benefit from some stuff or whatever that you might not have been able to before, uh, but you also are subject to protection from evil or whatever. And I think you might have to kind of write in those benefits in order to, like, really see the system to fruition. Because I think, as written, it is mechanically superior to be true neutral at all times. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, that's actually generally true. Um, yeah, the... the, the the other part I want to bring up about this is, is I think you also have to like parse it by ability. Like I like I absolutely agree that like protection. I actually thought it was this way. The protection from evil should only kind of apply to like these these this, this this kind of like holy unholy distinction that you're making. Yeah. Um. I'm not so certain. I'm happy with those words, but that's 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 it's that's another thing entirely. We don't have to argue about that. Um. Uh. But I think something like the paladin smite should be a little bit more open than it is. Like, I get why it's not, because it's a lot of power. But, like, I do think it makes sense for a paladin to be able to smite, like, a normal dude. Um, Because it's kind of, like, holy... Like, it's kind of like, uh, you know, like, a ma manifestation of, like, uh, of righteous justice, which I don't think only applies against against these kind of, like, this, this holy and holy thing. Or right? I think it easily applies against, like, a dastardly villain that's just yeah. kind of, like, non... non you know, 
what's the like, ascended or whatever to the point of unholiness, but still kind of dastardly. Yeah, I also think that it gets it, it is easy for holy and unholy because we have good concepts for this, but it is harder with kind of like the law order axis. Like I don't even yeah. have a good I don't have a good name for what like. So, okay, so I'm kind of cribbing this a little bit from WoW to a certain extent because in, like, WoW kind of lore, fell energy is kind of like, um, it's kind of like distilled chaos, like it's entropy, right? Right. Um, and arcane en energy is the opposite. It is the energy of, like, creation and construction, right? And I think that there is something to that, and, and it's even in D&D &D in some places. Like, in 4th edition, uh, uh, sorcerers were, like, explicitly powered by kind of, like, the entropy of the universe, right? Like, the natural kind of chaotic forces um, of the universe. And so, like, that's, I like, so I kind of like the idea of, like, entropic damage, right? Or saying protection from entropy or whatever. But, like, there's not a good, you know, like, do you know what I mean? Like, you kind of really do have to kind of, like, create some ground-up lore to, to justify this stuff, um, at least a little bit. Yeah, I, I like. I, I think the like I think the protection from law chaos stuff falls into the falls really into the kind of like um, law and law and chaos aren't ninety degrees from good evil. They're like more like forty five mm -hmm. problem. I I think I think protection from law chaos really kind of enforces that, um, and I'm not super happy about it. Um, I, I also don't think that, like, it's super... Like, I don't think it's super necessary for it to exist. Like, like Oh, really? Like, uh, not, not not for the Axis, but for the... For, like, if, so like if protection you're from a, law, protection from chaos. I actually pieces. see what you're saying. Like, if you're, if you're decoupling the system as a whole anyway, why do you even worry about making a secondary Axis to it? Because it's a whole new system. Yeah, you just basically. do holy and unholy and go from there. So the reason I would not do that is I think because all of this stuff ties back to deities, specifically for clerics. And I do like alignments for deities. Okay, um, I see what you're saying. And I think alignments. We didn't really talk about this in like the philosophy side of things, but I think from a philosophical point of view, alignments are pretty interesting for deities, and I think a good a good system. Um, but I also think that like the mechanics of it um, are a little bit problematic. And so I actually think you might kind of like lightly imply in a few places, the connection between kind of like holy and good or whatever. Right. Um, like you might say that Iomide is still a lawful good deity. Right. And she grants clerics to her, the holy and um, uh, you know, whatever lawful order subtype. If, if that makes sense. Um, but like the, but that there is still that like break between them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, I think maybe like, like I almost want to say protection to the opposition, right? Because like I do think law chaos makes sense in the in in the, um, uh, in the kind of vein of like Abadar wants to invoke this power against like Gorum, um, right? But I only think that makes sense at kind of that level, right? Like, uh, like, like, um. Like, like an opposed, like, honestly, I think you could call it like protection from the unholy and kind of like, like, uh, like reorient your viewpoint such that whatever you believe in is holy, right? Like, 
like, because this is like a, a weird kind of, this is a thing that I think is a little bit weird in, this, in, in kind of like the thought in general, right? It's like an evil God probably would, wouldn't would describe themselves necessarily as unholy. Like maybe they would to contrast themselves from a, a, a good God, but like a, an evil God would be like, no, what I am is holy and what the, and like goodness is unholy type of deal. And so I think if you, if you characterize it that way, then you could just say protection from the, unho the unholy and capture all of that i mean maybe that just means that you rewrite like these spells to kind of be alignment agnostic and you say like pr a protection from you know opposition or whatever yeah. and whatever your opposed alignments are you now have a pr you have protection from those alignments sort of thing yeah um, I, I think the problem there is like 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 you said it's it's uh it's better to be true neutral right like um it's one of those things where like the, the power gets 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 wacky, right? Like because if you have protection from the opposition, um, oh, I guess I guess if you have protection from the opposition and you only get like the opposite three, it's equal all around, right? Like a, yeah, and you can never do you can also never do protection from good if you do a protection from opposition. So like like hypothetically, a good cleric fighting another good cleric can cast protection of good on himself and get those benefits. But you if you if you collapse this all into protection from opposition, that goes away, which I think kind of, like, accounts for a bit of the power. Also, this system is naturally depowering the protection spells because they don't apply to people who are, who don't have that, like, holy-unholy subtype kind of thing. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, I also think that there's a bit of this that's kind of, like... Um, it's not just the protection spells. Like, the protection spells are kind of, like, a good ballpark. But then there's stuff like bindings or whatever um, where it starts to get, like, really weird how yeah. some of these things, uh, you know, like, kind of interact. I also think, by the way, um, that, uh, uh, like, like when I did my rewrite for the Paladin, um, which I don't know that we featured on the podcast. We've probably talked about it a little bit. Like, I have a rewrite for the Paladin that's a, that's a, a forced archetype for players in my game where the paladin is not definitionally lawful good like the paladin's power doesn't come from a deity in my games that's the that's the um that's kind of the purview of like war priests or whatever they're called um the paladin's power comes from conviction in in their alignment right and so it is not about you know i'm a paladin of iomedy you can't be a paladin of iomedy but like really at the end of the day everything fuels from the fact that you are so convicted to your lawful good alignment um and uh, and in that alignment you have smite opposition which just defines your smite as you know either smite chaos smite law right smite evil smite good sort of thing based on whatever the opposition to your alignment is and you can be any of the eight alignments that are not true neutral you can't be a true neutral paladin but you can be a neutral evil paladin if you want with smite good right and you know and you know all of this stuff that interfaces with uh like with good or whatever um i also think that maybe there's a version of this where you can name things kind of bot from like a you can kind of like cop to naming things from a biased perspective in in so far as the lore like i kind of agree with you that like maybe asmodeus wouldn't define himself as evil but the person who writes the who writes the spell protection from unholy does. So he kind of, so he is unholy because that's kind of the language that humans created to interpret him, if that makes sense. Um, and in the same way, you can do that with law and chaos by saying like, instead of protection from law, it's like protection from tyranny, right? Or instead of protection from chaos is protection from like, 
Anarchy. Anarchy or something like that, right? Like, it is specifically written from the point of view of the caster, where it's like, yeah, if you are a if you are a chaotic cleric and you want to do protection from law, you're going to name that something negative, so you call that tyranny. Do you, do you see what I'm saying a little yeah. bit? Yeah. Um, I think that that kind of leans into the lore basis for some of these spells and stuff like that like that in a good way. But I also think that there's kind of like a baseline understanding that spells are pretty inherently like worldview and alignment neutral that that kind of erase like rises new problems out of that yeah i I feel that um i i've been stuck for a second because i've been thinking about your 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 uh alignment your, your alignment paladin i'm thinking that like like a a paladin who is dedicated to the idea of true neutrality would be pretty neat and how you balance that and my thought is, is that you can, uh, is that, is that like the opposition's the four corners? Um, and that like, cause they're like so, so opposed to like, what, what is neutrality? Uh, it just stuck in my head is a potential, like, cause I, I think the idea of someone who's like really, truly dedicated to neutrality is an interesting character. Um, like we were kind of talking about last week. Yeah, I definitely understand that. Um, it's something that I kind of... I, I I don't want to say that you can't be convicted in to... Like, you can't be convicted to your true neutrality. But I also think, like, it... Like, it, it, it kind of raises a little bit of, like, balance concern. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, which is kind of, like, the reason that I avoided it, almost. Um, but I actually think that that a lot... That, that for... Um, that, like the four opposite or the four extreme alignments is very interesting. That's really, that's really interesting. It, it's not that much of a power buff because it's, it's one more. And if if you, you I I feel like I think uh, the hardest part with that is just being clear about it because like yeah. it's pretty easy when you say like um in the in the paladin or whatever you say like you have an opposition you know like you have you choose an opposition or whatever right and that opposition might be law or it might be chaos or it might be good or whatever and then all of this stuff down the line kind of inherits whatever your opposition is your opposition alignment is or whatever um but it gets really clunky trying to define the four extremes as an opposition alignment i get like i think you could do it but it is it's not something that you could do kind of like efficiently and i wonder how uh, yeah no how confusing I, that could be in practice yeah, yeah no like like writing the rules down would be tough and i think i think that like honestly like an idealized system of, of your opposing alignment thing would also be something like like a a lawful good paladin's opposition is neutral evil chaotic neutral and chaotic evil those three only um but i also think that's too clunky to to really do well um I think I I think that would be neat. Like if you had people who were willing to like, there's like what I like to call like homebrew standard and like publishing standard. And publishing standard definitely doesn't fit, but I think that could like work to homebrew standard where you're willing to get a little bit more complicated because you can trust your players. Oh, you know what I just realized by the way? It's not even just one. It's actually two archetypes. It's an archetype for the paladin and an archetype for the anti-paladin. Which makes it even more confusing. And it makes it even harder because, like, now that I'm, like, actually sitting here and looking at this, the difference between Lay on Hands and Touch of Corruption, right? Like, Lay on Hands isn't isn't touched in, in, in the archetype. Um, 
Man, this is really interesting. Yeah, maybe we should sit down and do a formalized cast for that at some later yeah, yeah. point. Because I actually think that it should be all in one, right? Um, but, uh, oof, wow, yeah. Plus there's all these auras or whatever, and like the anti-paladin auras give you like the opposite effect. Um, yeah. All of that stuff is, um, wow, yeah, all of that stuff yeah. is... No, the, Very interesting. Uh, k- kind of related to something that I've been pondering recently that's, that's related is uh, in the in the angry verse, um, druids are basic are are are, uh, or rather rangers are to druids as paladins are to clerics. Like rangers are essentially the paladins of nature, which I thought was yeah. a really neat idea, um, in kind of like this this sphere of of neutrality. Um, this is actually interesting because it's like you go back to some of the editions, like druids had to be true neutral in second edition. Yeah. Also, you had an alignment language. Talk about awkward alignment mechanics. Oh my god! I actually can I say I kind of love alignment languages. Not from like um, uh, like I kind of think as a if you if you do anything more than glance at it, it really breaks it down. Oh yeah. But I think it is that would be so cool if like all chaotic neutral people knew you know whatever it was, like, gutter speak, and it's, like, the language of the, you know, uh, like, like, I don't know, I just think that that is such a cool concept, but if you, but, like, the moment you actually try and implement it or work with it in any kind of serious way, I feel like it it just immediately blows up because it's so unworkable. Like, (laughs) what happens if you change alignments? You just forget the language? Exactly, exactly. Um, although I do think there's, like, I feel like if you wanted to, like, like, like I was saying before, like, flavor and alignment language is more of kind of like a, a shared language of the celestials of that area. It could work, mm-hmm. right? Like, like the like there's a shared language of evil that the demons, the demons, and the devils all speak. Uh, that could work, I think. Um, Interesting. Uh, and like, you solve like the kind of like alignment change problem because you don't like learn. And Jock might become like like a a a, a, a uh, what's a, a risen demon doesn't learn Angelic and he still knows you know like like he still know he doesn't learn good or he doesn't automatically know good and he still knows evil but it it, it kind of can kind of work because there's like some sort of higher orderness to that um I don't think it's necessary but I think if you thought it was a cool idea you could you could you could play with it that way yeah. Man, that is actually kind of really, like, really interesting. I, I, the other part of like the impetus for this is that I wanted to specifically get away from paladins as, um, uh, you know, like as agents of a deity, right? Because we had actually pretty specifically, uh, in our last couple of games, had a lot of that, and the war priest had just come out at the time, and so to me, I was, I was trying. It, it, it was almost kind of a move. That was um, uh, built to separate uh, to, to kind of like like separate things out because I had seen like, like it's it was almost like a metagame move right like the metagame for our D and D games had shifted to a place where I wanted to kind of like shift it back uh, in a certain and I also just really like the the fantasy of because another part of this is I was also dealing pretty heavily with Rahadum at the time um, and Rahadum obviously is a um, uh, is a nation of atheists, right, who specifically choose not to worship any of the deities, right, like, that are in-universe. But I was importing Mylaenin, 
who were pretty inherently tied to being paladins and crusaders and like the light and shit like that right like all of that stuff was adopted into it and so i wanted to create a space for it's like yeah there are a lot of laying in paladins right and they are convicted in you know being lawful good or being lawful evil or being chaotic you know like they're they're they are convicted to their alignment but they are also atheists right because rahadum is an atheistic society and so they are more ideologues than they are um you know uh preachers i guess yeah that, that makes that makes sense I, I i think that kind of more speaks to um a little bit like that the war priest is maybe encroaching on an existing uh on, on an existing archetype yeah that maybe he didn't need to be there um it's like that or like i don't know i i feel like the war priest is is a stronger argument for kind of like the lore doesn't necessarily have to match the class right like that, that like a, a a quote unquote paladin of iomade could manifest as a uh as a paladin or a war priest but that, that's that's an argument that we've had a thousand times uh yeah i see i am very much i am there. very much about um, the lore of a specific class influencing it in game. I don't like. I don't like the um, the version of things where the class is kind of just like a set of mechanics to try and like define. You know, like to try and define a character almost. Like I like the idea that there's like a wizard guild, right? And that wizards and sorcerers don't like one another or something like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. See, I'm, I I am a, I'm. Obviously, the opposite. We've had this argument, but I think yeah, I think yeah. there's stronger arguments for different. Classes. I don't think I don't think either way is right or like I don't think either way is right or wrong. I think it's like a it's like a perspective thing. I also think that part of this is influenced by like like you know I mean uh, World of Warcraft is a pretty good example of this because we have these class order halls or whatever. So it's really explicit in the canon of something like WoW that classes are um, like recognized in universe, right? Um, and so I'm probably coming at it a little bit from that sort of a perspective whereas i think you can make the case of something like like skyrim yes i was gonna say give a shit about what what class you are right like like you could join the mages guild yeah exactly stats yeah yeah um so uh but i do think that you know like uh, that the importing some of this stuff into those classes is important and insofar as we are talking about alignment right like i i like i don't believe you can cut alignments out of pathfinder um just because there is so much that hinges upon them um at least not easily uh yeah or or without you know doing tons of kind of like collateral damage um you know because even things like uh like i i've always thought that special materials have been pretty underserved in, in so far as uh pathfinder is concerned um, like I wrote out a whole bunch of extra special materials for my game because I really like the idea of somebody going out and saying, I'm going to make, you know, I'm going to find whatever, you know, sun silver and I'm going to make a whole sword out of sun silver and sun silver has this kind of effect on this kind of, you know, like I think there's a lot of fantasy to that. Um, and, uh, uh, but like the way that it is, inter- you know, like the way that we do interact with it, right? Like dark iron and cold iron are only useful against outsiders um and those outsiders are tied to their alignments and it's built in that they have you know dr good or whatever you know like whatever else it is right that you have to get across and it's just like man like 
untangling all of that stuff is just like fucking really tough. Yeah, I, I think you could do it for like a certain campaign, right? Like, mm. like, um, like uh, maybe Kingmaker or a- any game that kind of deals more with like the, the the terrestrial exploits of like the the kind of like mortal nations. I think you can get away with it more because there's less of those effects um, that you have to worry about. Um, I think it's also the right place to to do it if you want to do it, right? Like like a battle of like you know like something like Wrath of the Righteous, which is a game I'm running, is it is a is a game about um, the defeat of of chaotic evil in the north, right? And it's generally a fight of like good versus evil in kind of like the classic sense. I think yeah. there's interesting stories to be told from other perspectives, but that's not imp- like. Um, and for that story, I think you definitely do want alignment in play anyway, because like, that's kind of the theme of that story. Whereas a story about two warring neighboring nations is probably a lot muddier, um, kind of motivation wise in the first place. And so it's an easier, not only is it mechanically an easier place to, to, to pull it out because you're not dealing with outsiders who probably, who are the main conduit for these mechanics, um, but you're also, it's also thematically more appropriate because you're dealing with hairier situations. Yeah. I mean, this is a bit of a problem that I, that I ran into with Hell's Rebels. Cause obviously like Hell's Rebels is very suited to my play style in terms of it being very like political and stuff like that. And I like, and I like all of those aspects to it, but I also typically like issue gods and outsiders. I'm a big fan of silent gods in my games. Um, and I don't like using outsiders. Um, and so, um, the like like i think that it's definitely possible to have games where there aren't outsiders and you don't have to deal with these rules and cold iron and whatever are just like useless junk you know what i mean like who gives a shit about any of that stuff right um but uh i don't know it also feels a little bit like under service right like it would suck if you play a paladin in a game or something like that and you just never get to fucking smite evil you know like yeah that just sucks <laughs> yeah um, that, that, that's a big part of your that, that's a big part of your power budget there yeah um, i also think by the way that this is something that that it, it, like one of the main criticisms to the kind of system that i'm pitching here would be something along those lines right because all of a sudden smite evil becomes smite unholy well it's like whoa geez right like you just cut off a huge amount of things because most people don't aren't definitionally evil anymore right yeah i mean uh, they're, I, they're, they're, they aren't smite targets I mentioned this earlier. I think that smite. I think that smite in general should maybe be a little looser, right? Like, I think the idea of a paladin smiting his enemies kind of can transcend um, actual kind of like alignment restrictions. There, yeah. I actually um, think, to be honest with you, that paladin smiting enemies should be kind of agnostic um, and on, on a baseline, and then kind of get like because I think there is a bonus, right? Like, there's a bonus. You get you get extra shit if it's like not just evil but also a demon or something, right? Uh, I might be wrong about that. I th- I think you get extra damage no extra damage on the first attack if it's an outsider. Yeah, it's something like that. Like I kind of feel as though um, uh, shows you how many paladins we actually play. Yeah, uh, for real. Uh. uh uh so hmm. yeah you're right it's the bonus damage in the first successful attack increases to two points of damage per level the paladin possesses like i kind of feel like smite in general for paladin um should be something that is f- okay right like maybe it gives you that deflection bonus 
um, or something like that. Or like it, you know, like it does something for you kind of no matter who you hit with it. But like, dude, if you smite a fucking evil paladin, like boom, right? Like the whole world yeah. should like blow up and you should do like that. That's when it should kick into kind of like overdrive. Here comes um, the boom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like maybe you're like, okay, so here, so if you smite a target, like the paladin still adds your charisma bonus to attack rolls, but you only get your damage bonus. Uh, if like the target of the smite is also unholy or something like that, you know what I mean? Like, I think it would be something kind of along those lines, splitting the difference a little bit. I also, by the way, have, I've said this before. I think smite in general is too powerful. Um, mostly by way of proxy than like anything like like written in the rules um because i think that in most cases um the the target of a smite uh is going like like i don't think that there are enough poor use cases for smite that in in most games Basically, everybody is a good smite target, and therefore uh, the paladin is always acting at 100% efficiency, whereas the natural restriction of if this target is evil, right, uh, is kind of written to not apply all of the time. In practice, it applies all the time, uh, but it shouldn't. Yeah, I like, compare that to, like, favored enemy, uh, which is, like, super tightly restricted. Yeah, exactly. Uh, oh, man, what a good comparison. Um. Uh, I've I've actually got deeper con- thoughts about like, um, how I, like I think I think favorite enemy is like a bad mechanic, um, but maybe that's this isn't the place for that. that you know I'm gonna go for it anyway because fuck it, this is our podcast. I think I think I think favorite enemy is a terrible mechanic because um it's either really good or really terrible and very little in between. I feel this way about like favorite terrain as well. Right. I actually, I, so I like favorite terrain, but I like favorite terrain because the bonuses it gives are specifically not super powerful. Uh, favorite enemy bugs bugs me a bit because like the bonuses are fucking insane. You know, a tenth level ranger on his first favorite ener- enemy is getting plus six to attack and damage. That's insane amounts of damage and and attack bonus uh, to just be giving out flatly, right? Uh, but like the, the terrain gives you bonuses to shit like you know, stealth or whatever. And I think that that's pretty cool and pretty flavorful. Yeah. And, and like, I, I, I like the kind of idea that like a hunter has like, is specifically good at like hunting a particular thing. I think kind of like the mechanics of a typical campaign make it so that it's like in, let's say like, like a, like, like a, an open world video game, right? Right. You can build your character that way and then go hunt down enemies that you're better at fighting. Yeah. Right. Campaigns usually don't operate in that kind of space. Yeah. Right? You, you kind of are going, especially if you're running an adventure path, right? You're going to fight the things you're going to fight. Uh, you're going to fight the plot hook. And uh, if you've if you've read the plot hook wrong and picked the wrong favorite enemies, you're you're, you're, you're losing a lot of your... Uh, yeah. Uh, of your power budget. Um, yeah, favorite terrain uh, applies to initiative, which is the only thing it applies to in like a... Um, like a combat sense, knowledge, geography, perception, stealth, and survival. Um, and I think that, that that's pretty fine because none of that stuff is really like combat power budget stuff. Initiative is the only one that affects that. And yeah, like having a high initiative or whatever um, yeah. is, is beneficial, but it's not like so game-changingly beneficial compared to favorite enemy, which is plus two and then scales. Um, every five levels, so at 10th level, you, you're at plus six, 
you know, like that's just that to me. And it's not. And it, by the way, it is not just that. It is also to bluff knowledge, perception, sense, motive, and survival checks of his selected type. And I think that's actually all fine and all pretty cool, to be honest. And a version of favored enemy where you kind of like pull out the 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 attack and damage bonus, uh, but leave in knowledge checks, sense, motive, survival. You know what I mean? Like all that shit. I think all of that stuff is actually pretty sweet. Um, but um, yeah, yeah. I, I I think maybe if like. You, you had a more aggressive version of the retraining rules and embraced them so that, like, uh, a ranger could, after a period of time, kind of, like, hone himself to, like, pick up a new, like, a new type of enemy if that was... Oh, I like that a lot, actually. Would, would, ...would work. And, like, you... I think you, like, maybe have the bonuses you get to, like, attack and damage, and that, that, that balances it out pretty all right. Yeah. Um, like, you just say, you know, whenever a ranger levels up, he can, you know... He I would change his favorite enemies or whatever. I, I wouldn't even restrict it to leveling up. I, I'd use like there, there are mechanics for retraining uh, class features. Um, that's like X number of days per whatever. Um, and I don't think the specifics of it are important, but kind of like oh, interesting. The idea that like let's say you're uh, you know like you've been fighting goblins your whole life, right? And so you've got favorite enemy goblin, but like we're you, we're doing this this exploration campaign you pitched a while ago, and it's in the jungles, and there's lots of say kobolds to fight. Because uh, there are lots of nice kobolds in the jungle. Like, you taking, like, a couple days to, like, re refocus yourself on hunting kobolds um, or, like, you know, like, X number of encounters or whatever to switch that proficiency over I don't think is too too broken. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think that could work, especially if, if you reduce the power on it. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. I, I the, uh, the only reason I said level up is because that's what it is for the mechanic and Starfinder. Right. Um, and I, and I play a drone mechanic. And so, like, for, for instance, for the tournament, like, right now my drone is a stealth drone that basically, like, scouts for us. Um, and, like, he can hack into computers remotely and shit like that. And so he is not very valuable in combat pretty much at all. But, like, for the tournament arc or whatever, where the, the entirety of level 7 or whatever it's going to be, right? Like, it, it, makes, it makes no sense for me to have that as my drone. And so I'm going to rewrite him to be, you know, whatever else, right? Like a combat drone or a flying yeah. drone or, or, or whatever else to kind of, like match the needs that that i know we're kind of like walking into um and i think that that favorite enemy could definitely fall into that same line i definitely want to keep something along those lines in there because i think that there is a great class fantasy to having a ranger you know what i mean like specifically be uh you know a dragon slayer right um yeah. or somebody that does you know like i don't know like oozes or, or something right um honestly I, honestly i feel like that aspect of ranger is a very strong npc class feature that's like, actually very true yeah like it's like you know you walk into the the vampire forest and you meet the vampire hunter who has ranger with favorite enemy fucking undead or whatever it is right yeah yeah um you know it's funny now that i'm looking at the the favorite enemy list the favorite enemy list includes subtypes for outsider such as chaotic and good oh right? boy alongside stuff like air earth and fire um, well, that, which that, I find interesting. Thanks for bringing it back and making it so this wasn't a totally... Yeah, after our, like, super long diatribe. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, man, oh, huh, how, actually, let you say that, like, how do I feel about that, right? Like, I feel like outsider, like, I don't know. Like, I get why they do it, because it'd be a little bit too narrow, but I feel like mm -hmm. somebody who's, like, a devil hunter is a much different person than a demon hunter. 
I was actually just thinking that exact same thing, to be honest with you. I definitely understand why they did it, because they, they broke it out also for humanoids, and I think for yeah. monstrous humanoids. Yeah, they, they break it out for humanoids because there are too many humanoids. Yeah, because if, you if you'd it. pick humanoids, you just get it on everything. Yeah. Um, uh, but, like, they also don't break it out, like, I think the best favorite enemy type to take in general is Magical Beast. Um, just because it's kind of, like, all around incredibly effective. You're always fighting Magical Beasts at every level um, sort of thing. Yeah. I also think that there's an argument in specifically in Pathfinder Adventure Paths to pick fucking human because uh, yeah. I feel like they don't really vary too much with the different races. Um, and you can just get tons and tons of mileage out of going after humans. Um, but yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. But I do think that, the, you know, I do think that having rangers have, um, like, specific stuff for you know, outsiders or whatever, uh, like, like that, that's part of like the range of fantasy to me. And, right, I, right, and right. I wouldn't want to strip that of, of ranges at all. Like, just cause like some of them are na like very nature focused. Doesn't mean that like you couldn't have a ranger whose whole goal in life is to like run around killing archons that like poured into the material plane. Right. You know yeah. I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, outsiders themselves isn't the problem. It's the fact that it's so broadly classified that, that... I also wonder if there's i uh, I'm, I'm taking a quick look at, there's like a million archetypes for ranger cause it's a base class obviously uh, but i'm kind of wondering if maybe there is something a little bit more like here's demon slayer divine marksman divine tracker uh i wonder what some of these uh archetypes look like when it comes to um when it comes to rangers and interfacing with alignments i i think like a, a lot of um a lot of classes have kind of like the holy version that's real good against mean things. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, to what extent do you think that um, you we could, you could subdivide this even further and just kind of say okay, in like we'll just port over and say that um, this is almost like a rule on top of the rule, but like instead of worrying about evil outsiders, right? You worry about like a bit like abyssals, right? Or like hellish. I, and they're kind of archetypes, like they're they're adjectives that you put before a devil, right? Like devils are hellish, and so if you are, you know, like if you're opposed to uh, to law or you are opposed to evil, you do extra shit to hellish enemies. You know what I mean? Maybe that's yeah. a way to kind of solve this sort of thing. Yeah, that's not a bad idea. You could have hellish. You could have abyssal. I don't know what neutral evil would you would call that. I don't remember what the... Uh, I, honestly, I just go with, like, devilish and demonic rather fair than... Fair enough, uh, yeah. Uh, demonic. There we go. Yeah, problem solved. <laughs> problem solved. Um, uh, I, do kind of, I do kind of like tying it to the plane that they're from. Uh, so it's, so yeah. now I just want to look up where do demons come from Pathfinder. Um, because... Uh, that I feel like that will that will uh, the pit is the is is the abyss right? Uh, Abaddon is the is a wasteland uh, of infinite and apocalyptic proportions that is home to the demons. So, hurry, um, yeah, because well, so so hell and the abyss to me are so very cleared in my mind, but yeah. I really don't have like a good thing. You know what I mean? Like a good. Uh, uh, it's funny. Uh, it's, it's funny because, like, 
like, uh, you know, like, you think that evil's, like, so clearly drawn, but it's, like, they kind of phoned it in with daemons. It's like, oh, what are oh, they? Oh, actually, you know, I do have to say that they, I forgot that the daemons do, um, the daemons are led by the four horsemen, dude. And so there's the four citadels, right? Like, a citadel, yeah. the throne of flies, the drowning court, the drowning court, the citadel of death. So, so I think the four horsemen are good. Yeah. But I think that, like, the, like... The concept of daemons is just kind of like, well, we need a third type. Well, you could spell demons slightly differently. I have to say, I'm really surprised that they didn't just make... I, I really wished that they had done this with Undead. I wish that Neutral Evil as a um, like as a descriptor was the descriptor that they use for Undead and Necromancy and like demon or and for like undead summoners and so like the you know what i mean like so the yeah. stuff that is defined by abaddon if you want to keep the same name or whatever is very typical is very typical undeath stuff yeah that could work really well it's all skeletons um yeah uh i i think part of that is that like undeath is, is in a lot of ways a very kind of human folly um which is why I think they keep it outside of the realm of, of, uh, of, uh, like, you know, like, like the, the story of undeath is, is humans trying to escape the, their, the, the mortal coil. And that's a very human story. And so, so it kind of falls outside of t- like your, your, your typical, uh, celestial, um, conflict. Um, yeah, I also think that, um, to be honest, I'm projecting a little bit. I, I'm not a huge fan of arcane undead which is kind of the archetype that gets used in pathfinder yeah where like necromancy and necromancers are like wizards right more than they are clerics um uh and i you know i i'm not a fan of that like i prefer like i i like undeath as kind of like a as like a clerical thing but like that's just me talking like as like a divine thing but that's just me talking like in pathfinder Right, like I mean, in Pathfinder, I'm pretty sure like the evil gods all really don't like undeath, right? There's only like the one. Like most of them are mad because it gyps them of shit. Um, yeah, un- undeath is weird because like you get like weird and edit- like they're like like I think Phrasma is true neutral and she's she's like the keeps the bone here and she's opposed to undeath because it's like things need to die and do yeah, Phrasma is a really great example because Phrasma yeah. uh, really hates undeath because she it it she wants when things die she gets them and she wants them sort of thing yeah. same thing with the raven queen i think uh that's not forgotten lore that's uh that's fourth edition yeah um all right I, we've covered most of the big kind of alignment uh hit classes except for um monks oh uh, that is interesting you're right uh, how, how do you, how do you feel about about mon- like I always thought that monks being lawful is a little weird in the first place. Like I get it, but it, it feels like it it feels like when you hold like a paladin up next to a monk, you've got like in a moment the problem with like the problems we described last week with the philosophy like, with the inconsistent philosophy of, of of things that share the same name. If, if you follow me, yeah, yeah, right. Definitely. Like like a paladin lawful is very different from a monk lawful. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually kind of of the opinion, um, like, I kind of like any neutral for druids and everything like that, but I'm actually kind of of the opinion that outside of clerics and outside of paladins and outside of uh, war priests um, and outside of inquisitors, right? Those are the only, like, divine kind of classes. So, that so, so this, this is a divine thing? 
Uh, yeah, it's, for, it's like, to me, this stuff is all like, like if you inherit your, so, okay. Um, if you inherit your alignment from your deity, which I think clerics, inquisitors, and war priests all do, um, that you have a class-based alignment. That makes sense to me. And then if you're a paladin, which in my universe, right, like in my head are a class defined by their conviction to their alignment, right, that is also something where, you know, like, you have to, like, you have to take a certain alignment. But, I mean, even with Paladin, that's one of eight. And even with Cleric, that's any of them, right? But the, but the point is, is that outside of those four classes, I don't think there should be any restrictions on alignment for the other classes um, as, like, a um, as like a character-building tool. Uh, and l Monks might be the one that I disagree with most because I really don't like the idea of any lawful being. Like, a great example of, um, of kind of chaotic neutral in action is... In like for as a philosophy would be Zaheer from Avatar of Korra. Do you do you know? Uh, did you watch season three of Avatar of Korra or Avatar Korra, whatever the fucking that thing's called? Uh, no, I haven't watched any Avatar. <clears throat> okay, so real wow, really none at all. Uh, maybe one episode once. Jeez, no way, no wow, that's really surprising. Anyway, um, there is a character in Korra named Zaheer who is like a super hardcore anarchist, right? Where he thinks, he basically, th he like I, he literally says, any hierarchy is oppression, right? And all, all, all oppression is wrong, and like the ultimate freedom is the only thing that like, that like matters, right? Um, and uh, and he, is, he is the ultimate archetype of what you would call like a chaotic neutral monk, right? Because he's also a monk, he's quoting like, you know, in-universe monks all the time, and he's, like, very spiritual and, like, meditative and stuff like that. Um, and he literally, it, like, he... Part of the arc of his character is that he realizes, like, a nirvana. Like, he, he comes to a spiritual... Um, uh, awakening. Awakening, right? And it's just, like, it really kills me that, like, this kind of character wouldn't exist in Pathfinder uh, because of... The way that he like the way that the class is written. Yeah. Um, are barbarians required to be chaotic in Pathfinder? I don't know that they are, because that also bugs me. I like the idea of lawful ca barbarians. Yeah, uh, any oh. any non-lawful. Okay, I think I think that makes a little bit more sense to me than than must be chaotic. Than must be chaotic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I've I've always been a big fan of uh, I've always been a big fan of barbarians outside of like the typical archetype. Like archetypal like half orc barbarians don't you know like from the mountains and their big brutes don't really interest me. But like I've always I always have like this idea of playing like a like a barbarian who's like a dock worker. You know what I mean? Like somebody who's lived in his city in a city his whole life, right? He just gets uh, really like, mad. Yeah, but he just he gets really mad and he fights with that kind of like he fights with passion more so than with any kind of um, you know like training, right? Or like knowledge, right? Like he's whip, you know, he's holding you know whatever baseball bats with 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 nails through them, not yeah, yeah. hammers or something like that, right? Um, and I feel and I feel as though yeah I I I will I'm very happy to to make that blank statement alignments shouldn't factor into class decisions for um, you know not uh, not non defined classes non non defined non defined classes can uh, can you describe a lawful barbarian to me because like I I'm not against you in theory I'm just having trouble 
so a lawful barbarian. So to me, a barbarian. Um, you know, to be honest with you, Tonric is pretty well represented as a barbarian. Um, you know, like in WoW, he's a fury warrior, but like it's not like he's fight. It's not like he's rage is kind of less of a less of a good descriptor for like the kind of fighting he does, right? But insofar as I want that barbarian fighting style, which is not trained. Right, like I think that's the kind of thing that defines barbarian fighting is that it is you are fighting based on kind of instinct and and passion more than you are fighting on like like training as a you know like as like a like a nobleman's son who trains with the master at arms, right? Like that's a fighter, right? And there are fighters of all different types or whatever. Like that, oh, a better example, that's a cavalier, right? Um, but a barbarian to me, I think anybody that fights just by getting really angry, you know what I mean? And like re throwing themselves into, into a frenzy, right? Like that's, that's a barbarian. I absolutely think that, you know, a knight of the realm or whatever could be that kind of person. You know what I mean? And like that person could be lawful and they could stick by their word philosophically. I don't know. Like that, that, that's kind of, that's kind of my own view. Maybe that has to say the more to say with how I interpret like rage and stuff like that than anything else. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I'm actually, I'm trying to find this. There was a, uh, there was like a, an elf barbarian, like feet, I think in three, five, um, that had like, it was like war dancer or something. Uh, let's see if I can, let's see if I can find it. Uh, because it was it was i always thought it was super neat um now i can't find it i think there, there are a lot of uh there there are also a lot of archetypes that you know like like there are archetypes that make barbarians more primal which is fine you know like whatever primal hunter right or whatever savage barbarian whatever that means or whatever um but like for instance like sea reaver right like the sea reaver archetype i think you could be a sea reaver who is lawful um because he is an agent of like the crown or whatever right right he's just a member of the you know like he's a member of the royal navy and he believes in the queen and shit like that but like when he rages or whatever he's fucking you know, like I like I I don't know I I almost kind of think that barbarian is mostly defined by that like level of fighting like you are not a trained fighter you are uh, a fighter who who uh, is is doing stuff based on kind of like instinct or whatever and not yeah yeah I I, I, I get that um I also think that this pops, uh, this gets rid of ex-barbarians, which I also think is very stupid. Like, not only is, is it stupid to have alignments for some of these classes, right? But then when the class changes alignment, they lose their ability to rage. You know what I mean? Like, what the fuck does that even mean? You can't get angry that's, anymore. That's ridiculous. You can't get real angry when you're lawful. Yeah, you can't get real angry when you're lawful, you guys. That's the way that that's the way that it works. Same thing with monk stuff. You know what I mean? I think that, and it's also weird with monk because, like, wouldn't I don't know? It feels a little bit like with monk. Shouldn't that stuff be like a neutral? Aren't isn't key all about like yin yin and yang and balance and shit like that? Why do I lose access to my key key pools? Oh wait, actually, never mind. I just read it, and you just can't gain new monk levels, but you retain all of your abilities. Withdrawn. <laughs> um. Oh man. 
I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to form a joke around twelve angry men and lawful barbarians. Um, <laughs> um, I feel like that'd be like, I feel like a twelve player D and D game would be bad, but like, I feel like you you could have like a like like that's like a great concept like. Like it's it's a bar, it's a barbarian party that's like a, a jury, um, that rages around the countryside deciding court cases. Um, I don't know. That just popped to my head. Uh, uh, but that's kind of the end of our hour. Uh, yeah, as yeah. we stumble across the finish line. Uh, so, if anybody uh, wants to, if anybody wants to take these half baked thoughts and make them into something cohesive, I. I wish you all the luck in the world. I think yeah. it's the right thing to do, but I don't know that I would ever put the actual time into doing it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, how was your week? Uh, how was my week? Maybe it was pretty good. What did, did, did we last record? We recorded after we did the character generation session for 7C, and then we're playing 7C after this session. Yeah, so we haven't so, played 7C. Uh, have I played any other games? Ooh, something I wanted to talk about. Uh, have you ever gone back to Stellaris? No. So I think I'm going to go back to Stellaris because next week is a um, uh, it, n- next week I think is the new it's like a new expansion. They've had a couple of other expansions so far. Um, they had like a robots expansion where you could play like robots like the Borg or whatever. They're not actually called the Borg. Um, did, and uh, do they actually ex- do they actually expand mechanics, or is it just kind of like a, a portrait pack? Yeah, no, they they expand mechanics. This is what part of why I love uh, paradox is part of what what I think makes paradox just like so great um, is uh, they they have, they are always very good about like these kinds of patches, right? Like even when the um, like even when we get the new stuff in the like in the expansion. Some of it will boil down into um, the like the, when they when they when they put out a new expansion. Some of the stuff that they patch into the game is baseline stuff, um, and you don't need to purchase the expansion in order to get those benefits. Okay, but yeah, yeah so they are coming out with a new expansion. I believe it is called Apocalypse. Um, and I don't necessarily know what is coming with it. So there's so the 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 new thing that they came out with was called uh, Synthetic Dawn. Um, Synthetic Dawn is the is the machine stuff. Um, and then they also had another one, Utopia, which is kind of um, Utopia allows you to do. First of all, Utopia adds a lot of end game shit. Like you can do stuff like do you know what a Dyson sphere is? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you can like build Dyson spheres and shit like that now. Um, well, well, uh, why, like why don't mega mega endgame? Why don't you explain to the folks at home what a Dyson sphere is? Oh, a Dyson sphere know. is uh, a Dyson sphere is like it's like a it's like a space station, I guess. Essentially, what you do is you make like a wrapper around a star and you harvest all of the power that that star is generating, right? Um, so that's that's what that is. Yes, uh, and so you can do that, and so in the end game in Stellaris, right, you can make a like a like a Dyson sphere around a star or something like that, and it takes like insane amounts of resources or whatever, right? But it has like these incredibly huge benefits. Um, so yeah, and so yeah, so Stellaris Apocalypse uh, comes out next week, and I think it one of the big things uh, that it um, one of the big things that it does is it creates uh, a new tier of capital ships. Right, I think the top tier in 
Stellaris right now is battleships. Like, I think it goes, you know, like fighter craft are the smallest. And then it goes all the way up to like battleships. And now you'll have Titan class uh, capital ships, but you can only have one per fleet. Um, they're redoing some of the fleet mechanics. Um, so you can't like just, you can't stack tons and tons of, gu of guys under one fleet. Like you can't take your whole army and put it in one fleet. Um, your fleet has a maximum capacity and you have to split it up at a certain point. Um, with like new uh, uh, admirals, uh, with like new admirals in com in um, in comparison, uh, then uh, you can create a colossus, which is a planet killer weapon, which I think is the apocalypse they're talking about. Um, it can just eliminate entire worlds from from the universe, which is like crazy. They they have new mechanics for pirates um, when. What, what pirates are is pirates spawn in systems that you haven't colonized at all. Um, one of the problems with Stellaris is that, like, the quality of different worlds and, like, cores and sectors and stuff like that means that you get these kind of, like, snaky... You know, you want you yeah. only have a certain number of planets that you can put that, that you can colonize, um, and so you don't want to colonize bad planets, and so you'll kind of snake around bad systems. Well, now uh, pirates spawn in systems that are not claimed, and they spawn at a rate for like comparative to the development of nearby systems. So if you start in star A and star B is right next to you, but you you know skip around it and colonize star star C and star d as you build up those three stars star b starts spawning more and more powerful pirates to fuck with you um and then there are also marauders who are space nomads who like run around and like fuck your shit up i don't know there's a lot of cool stuff um I, so i'm probably gonna go back to i'm probably gonna go back to stellaris play some play some apocalypse uh synthetic <laughs> dawn you know it's fine I'm, <laughs> I'm interested have you played the uh, new civic expansion at all Oh shit! Did that come out? Yeah, I didn't realize it either. Fuck! Do I own it? I think I bought the season pass. Oh, whoa! Look at you. Yeah, I mean, I know that I like shouldn't or whatever, because blah blah blah, season pass are bad, whatever. Who cares? <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I have not played the new Civ expansion at all. I liked a lot of what I saw from the the new Civ expansion at the very least, so. Uh, I'm definitely interested. Um, I do I own it? Do I own it? I don't think it was part of the. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't own it. Wow, Jesus Christ! A thirty dollars expansion? Fuck. Yeah, it's supposed to be a real ass expansion. I don't know if it is or not. Yeah, I liked I liked a lot of the stuff that that I saw in there because um, it's because it you have you can like proc golden ages, but you can also proc dark ages. <gasps> Ooh, excuse me. And I like that. I like that kind of uh, interplay, right? Like all of a sudden, a civilization becomes a dark, uh, like a dark age, um, and so that's when you pounce. That's when you strike and you wipe it off of the map, right? Um, but like when you're in a dark age, oh no, shit! You know you're gonna get you're gonna get wrecked. Stuff like that. I don't know. I think that's cool. I think that's yeah. interesting. Yeah. No, I, I'm I'm definitely curious to check it out. Just not right now. Man, I should, I should, I will probably check that out uh, to try and report back a little bit uh, on. You, uh, you did you play Kingdom? What is it called? Kingdom Come? Kingdom Come Deliverance? Yes, yeah. I played it for about an hour, and then I. What is this? I see people talking about it, but I don't know what it actually. It was is. a Kickstarter game. Um, uh, was been in development for like three or so years. It's got a ton of funding. It's supposed to be hyper realistic. Um, and it's 
I play, only played it for an hour and then I refunded it, but it's not because I think it's a terrible game. I just, I've got a lot, there's a lot else that's coming out in like these couple months. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd rather spend my time on that. It's also very janky, right? Like the first thing you do in the game is like pick up an apple and like it's immediately apparent. Like it's like the arm is like straight out. It looks like the elbow might be bending the wrong way at some point. And it's like the most wooden animation I've seen. It's like, what the hell is this? It's like I'm playing Oblivion again. Um, and Interesting. the systems seem really deep, but I don't know if I, I'm not willing to drop 60 bucks on it. Um, so, uh, maybe in six months, but I only played it for like an hour. So take, take, take with that what you will. I might, um, I might the, you know, I might get, I don't know that I'll drop 60 bucks on it, but I'll definitely will. Uh... So, so the most pernicious thing about it, I think, and this is probably the thing that, that tipped me over the edge is you can't save anywhere. Really? Um, you, you can only, you only get auto saves, which are like major events sleeping in a bed, or you can buy, like, an alcohol thing. Like, it's like an in-game alcohol that you can drink to save. And they're not cheap. Interesting. Um, at least from what I saw. Um, and that was that was super, super annoying. Like, I paid for an hour, and I, I lost 40 minutes of play because I, I couldn't buy the thing, and I didn't, you know, I couldn't keep playing. I thought that was terrible. Um, I did not like that aspect. I, get, I think I get what they were trying to do, which is, like, um, this, this, this incentivized save scumming. Yeah. Um, but I don't think this is the right way to do it. I'd rather, I'd much rather have like, uh, oh, what's, what's the word I want to look for? Uh, or I'd rather have like an, an optional Iron Man mode than this. Um, but yeah. Um, the other big thing I played was, uh, Shadow of the Colossus, the remake. Um, Oof. and, uh, you, you've already heard this buddy, but, but nuclear take time. Uh, I don't think that's a very good game. Um, and uh, I'm going to unpack it a little bit because, you know, that's like the shock value clickbaity headline. Um, so before you all write me your angry emails, um, I think the game is gorgeous. And I think it was probably at the time gorgeous. To be clear, I, I never played it before before this. I never played the PS2 version. Um, but the controls are incredibly terrible and frustrating um, in like every dimension. And not only that, but, like, the actual gameplay of climbing the Colossi is is incredibly boring. It's, like, you figure out the shtick, and then you climb on it, and you stab it three or four times. It's not great. Um, and, you know, I will say that the, I think it's the 15th, it's the second, the small dog Colossus, and, like, the big, the last one, the 16th Colossus, those are well done. Um, I thought the 16th Colossus fight was frustrating because, like, the controls, like, like the, I was felt like I was fighting the controls the whole time, but that's, that's fine. That's its own problem. Or rather, that's, like, that's taking away from the level design, which I thought was good because of the controls, which are, I already mentioned are bad, so I'm not going to double-dock it for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I thought, like, if all of the Colossus fights were up to that, that quality, it would have been great, but it's, it's, it's not. It's just kind of, like, whatever. Um, and I think we're going to do an episode of this at some point, but I, I, at some point I want to explore kind of, like, like when classics don't hold up over time because i think this game deserves to like it seems no i mean hey man this 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 kind of sounds a little bit like the nuclear take that i have for the original star wars that we talked about a little bit yeah and 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 i think i think that like you know without touching the star wars one because we disagree on that one but like right i I just mean i just mean in the same set like i i get i get what you mean i definitely think that it is interesting 
um, and figuring out what makes something like good and what makes something a classic. Because I'm pretty, I, I, I like the idea of saying, yeah, this is a classic or whatever it is. You know what I mean? Um, the rub for me is that sometimes the classics still hold up, right? Like, I think Seven Samurai is still a good movie. Yeah, right? yeah. Um, whereas, you know, maybe, like, I, I haven't seen Citizen Kane myself, but people say that that movie doesn't hold up as well. Um, and kind of exploring, and I think that that's true for video games too, right? Like, I think Super Mario Brothers 3 still holds up today as a great game. Oof. Um, <laughs> um, have you played Super Mario Brothers 3? Yeah. Uh, not, I mean, whatever. We don't even agree with that. I mean, I would say, you know, I would say like StarCraft is like a game that, as a classic game, that still holds up. Well, StarCraft is trash. But the real question, Mango, is... Is there strategy in no, StarCraft? No, this, this joke's too inside for this for for anybody. Uh, Actually, I think a lot of people who listen to the podcast guess, will pro- get this joke, joke just because we don't have a lot of listeners. Uh, um, but yeah, I would definitely say like StarCraft to me definitely holds up. But like something, uh, but that what's uh, what's a classic that I don't think holds up? Man, I don't know. Uh, well, like, I'm going to tell you, you Shadow of the Classes, maybe. Um, I actually think that that's true for, like, a lot of, like, the old-style JRPGs. Yeah. Um, is that they don't hold up as much as they could because that, that menu-based system is, uh, and the grind is too pernicious. Yeah, uh, I mean, I also, I think, I think that classics that hold up are really rare, to be honest with you. Um, and it's something that, like, like, even, even, like, Seven Samurai, I would say that it's still a good movie, right? But, like it is not better than movies who have perfected on its formula. Like, I think there's a certain amount of reverence that goes into something like Seven Samurai. I love that movie because of, because it is the herb movie to, um, you know, Fellowship of the Ring. But the Fellowship of the Ring is a better movie because it has 60 years of progress. This is also my argument about, like, Kung Fu Panda, right? Kung Fu Panda is better than the original Star Wars because it has, it is standing on the shoulders of giants, essentially. Um, and that years and years, you know, finally hone this, you know, like this thing. And so there's a certain amount of it that's like, for its time, it was so blast off innovative, right? Getting into a whole new sphere of what, of what the culture and what storytelling like could be. Um, but, but that doesn't mean that it is on the same level of stuff that is still doing that today. Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean. I don't necessarily agree with your examples, but I'm gonna I'm gonna hold I, my. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, let, me, let me think of a good example. What's no, a good I'm, example? I'm gonna hold. I think we should hold these thoughts for the episode where we discuss it. Okay, that's fair. Sure. Because um, uh, I think that I think that there's a lot to unpack there. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, movies. Have you been watching the Oscar movies? Have you gotten through any of them? Uh, We're gonna I have an not. Oscar Bay podcast later. I have, uh, not, I have started. Well, so I've just found out that some of these have made it to streaming, so I've been streaming them, which so, is nice. Which is what would have made it to streaming? Uh, most of them are on Amazon. I mean, so the other thing is that they're expensive. It's like you have to because it's not just rental; it's buying it. So I like own like Lady Bird and shit now. Oh, um, you can't you can't rent it through the Amazon rent. Uh, some some of them you can like I think you can rent the Darkest Hour. I want to say. Okay, um, I thought Darkest Hour didn't come out for another like two weeks. Uh. I don't know, um, but uh, so I so I've been try I've been trying my best to to watch some of these. Um, uh, I saw three billboards right came out, um, and uh, I also don't know if you like do like Redbox or whatever, but there's also like fucking like Redbox and shit. 
Um, but I also watched the Cloverfield Paradox. Did you watch the fucking? Did you watch the Cloverfield Paradox? No, I heard it's bad. It's really bad, dude. <laughs> but it's bad in a really interesting way, which is that like, it's kind of the worst like product of the like the streaming age that we're currently in and in a weird way like like bright is also kind of like exists in this for me where it's like it doesn't have to be very good because the barrier to entry on netflix is so low because it's just yeah you know it's just like a movie that i that i put on i don't have to pay anything extra for it it's wrapped into my netflix subscription right um yeah red letter media has described that that Netflix only might soon become the new straight-to-DVD sequel. Yeah, and as much as I am I- interested in the um, the idea, I guess, of Netflix being, like, an alternate distribution place, I do feel as though that's what's, what's going to end up happening. Because, like, all reports are that Paramount knew this movie was garbage, right? Um, and they And they were just like, hey, you know what? Instead of giving this a theatrical release, right, you know, critics see it, they pan it, everybody sees it has like a 1% Rotten Tomatoes or whatever, and nobody goes see it, why don't we just sell it off for $50 million, right, which is like a little bit more than the budget was, you know, and let Netflix worry about it. And from Netflix's point of view, I think they need they need a steady stream of content no matter what, but like good or bad content kind of helps them, and they don't need to worry so much about what you know whatever like critics or whatever say about it um and so i think that that's i don't know i think that that is a very uh a prescient thing um uh a prescient thing for red letter media i i suppose to be saying i watched the same i watched the same uh yeah i mean the, the other big thing you have to talk about when you're talking about the cloverfield paradox is that oh they announced it during the super bowl it was available like an hour later um do you think that that's important I think that that's cool. Um, I'm in, even though I have been the beneficiary of these in a lot of ways. Uh, I am of the opinion that the long marketing cycles are not so great. Um, it allows you to do stuff like we can do now with Justice League or with Rogue One, where the first trailers came out before reshoots and reshoots changed everything, right? So you're comparing footage in the first trailer or whatever to the final product. And I don't think that is always a shitty thing. I don't think anybody does that and is like, you know, hmm, they really improved this, this thing yeah. from the trailer. Almost a- every time I've ever seen this, it's somebody saying, why wasn't this thing that was in the trailer not in the movie? Um, and, and, uh, you know, I don't know when these things are like uh, coming in a year out or whatever, that's just way too, that's just like way too long. Um, so I think shortening kind of the shortening kind of like the marketing, uh, cycle life cycle of, of this stuff is, uh, pretty good. Pretty good. I also think that star Wars has kind of proved that you don't need tons and tons of marketing and that, um, you can kind of. Uh, like I'm almost feeling a little bit, and this is probably because the discussion around it is is so specifically the, the discussion around it. I'm almost feeling a little bit like annoyed by Black Panther just because like it's so dominating, um, what it's like what everybody is talking about or whatever. And I almost kind of prefer that to be after than beforehand. You know what I mean? Kind of like with The Last Jedi, right? Last Jedi generated tons of discussion, but it was discussion about the movie uh, because everybody had seen it. You know what I mean? Whereas I feel like stuff with Black Panther, it's just like, I, I can't 
I have to avoid everything because everybody's talking about this movie and I don't want to get, you know, I don't want to be spoiled and I want to kind of go into it fresh or whatever. Um, but it's all over the place. Yeah, I've, I've managed to avoid most of it. I'm seeing it on, on Monday, I think. Yeah. Um, there's a whole bunch with that. I'm sure uh, I'm sure the movie, the, the, the podcast after the Oscars episode will be the Black Panther episode. Um, maybe we'll record it early, at least, that way. We not... could also do maybe a bonus episode. I don't know. Maybe. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll uh, figure it out. We are definitely doing Black Panther, so go yeah. see Black Panther, I guess, folks. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have a little bit more time to, to see it, too. Um, it sounds like... Your Panther is excited to see Black Panther because... Oh, can you hear him in the background? For like the past like 40 minutes. It's great. <laughs> it's fine. It's fine. It wasn't showing up on the on the podcast. I hope it doesn't show up on my, my recording. Hey, if, because... it, if, if it does, I'm, I'm sure there are more annoying things than, than cat sounds in the background. Fair yeah, he was, he was fighting. He was being very mean to our other cat. So I was like... So I locked him in the bedroom. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't. Know. I I am interested. I'm very interested in Black Panther because I like Ryan Coogler. Like, have you seen Have you seen Creed? No, I haven't. Um, Creed is very good. By the way, Fruitvale Station, which he did before Creed, was amazing and extremely prescient because it's about the killing of an unarmed black teenager um, in Oakland. Uh, and this was kind of like before everything had like blown up with like Ferguson or whatever. But I don't know. It's it's really good. It's it's really great or or whatever. Um, but I'm very leery. I think the same kind of thing happened with Ghostbusters too, um, where the discussion is so front loaded into what the movie will be and not enough what it will be after the fact that I like that's the part of it that's like. I like you know Fury Road is is a, a good example of this. Like I'm down with I'm you know I'm down to talk about Fury Road with anybody after we've all seen it, right? And we're talking about the actual movie itself. Uh, but I'm a lot less less interested in talking about it um, before it comes out and all of this this kind of thing. I don't know. Maybe this is just like my Twitter and Reddit. Um, no, I I I, def I definitely feel that right. Like. Um, my favorite responses are like whatever clickbait headline. It's like Black Panther's the first black superhero. People are like, and then there was Blade. Oh my God! That there was... yeah, there was a, there was a really funny tweet about that where a guy does this whole thing was like I you know when I was ten in nineteen ninety eight or whatever he's like you know in nineteen ninety eight there was no Black Panther and it's just Blade came out nineteen ninety eight right like the thing by the way that started off like all of this right like I mean yeah. I give a lot of credit to you know, the X-Men movies um, and to Spider-Man for, like, kind of, like, solidifying a fad into a, you know, like, the foundation of movie making, right? Uh, but, like, Blade was the one that broke down the, these these barriers. Um, I don't know. I, yeah. I, I am very... I'm, I'm skeptical of this kind of thing. Well, well, you know what they say, that some motherfucker's always trying to uh, ice, ice skate uphill. Fuck, I bumbled, bumbled it. <laughs> that, that's, a, that's a Blade quote. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> oh that's funny <laughs> um but yeah uh have you been, have you been watching anything else like what's what's on i have been prepping for seventh c oh uh, well fair enough uh but it's it's really interesting um i'm sure that you're about to find out about all my preparation which has been a lot of typing words into google translate until i get something that looks neat and being like, this is a foreign word that will fit into this universe. Uh, 
Um, I've been playing a little bit more Dragon Ball Fighter Z, putting some time at the lab on that. Who who are your who are your fighters in Dragon Ball Fighter uh, Z? Android sixteen, Hit, and uh, and uh, Captain Ginyu. Oof! I love Android sixteen. Android sixteen is like. He's, he's super. Man. He's super high up in the meta. Apparently, he's like the grappler of the cast, which is why I like him. Uh, but uh, he's he's and and uh, Captain Inu's got some weird stuff. And Hit Hit plays differently than most of the other characters too. And he he's, he he feels really good. Who's uh, Hit? I think he's from Super. Um, uh, okay. I am. Uh, other shows Mango hasn't watched that Buddy will be astonished to find out. I I have I have watched. You're, you're not a Dragon Ball Z guy. I watched very little of it. At some point, like, last year, I watched 20 or so episodes of Dragon Ball Z Abridged. Um, and that's, like, the extent of my exposure. Wow. Yeah. Oh, jeez. Yeah, I know enough to know that uh, I want Mr. Satan to be a DLC character. Or Mr. Satan or something. Hercu- or Hercule, I think. Oh, he's Hercule he's in, English. in English. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, um, yeah, I, I, I was, uh, I was a Dragon Ball, uh, I was a Dragon Ball Z kid, um, but Dragon Ball Z is like, man, talk about classics that don't hold up, holy shit, it is impossible, there's plenty of stuff that I can go and do because of my nostalgia goggles, right, like, one would argue that that's the way that I treat the prequels or whatever, um, but man, it is so fucking impossible, um, I don't man with with, with which Z uh, or... it, it, with with Dragon Ball Z to go back and play yeah. and, and I'm sorry to go back and watch Dragon Ball Z it's just like so long I was so addicted to this shit it is something that um it's something that really changed the way that I think about like like stories like we were talking about like protagonist antagonist or whatever um Vegeta is like the archetypal like anti at first he is an antagonist and then he switches to becoming a protagonist by way of like making changes within himself right like he 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 at, at first he is that guy who keeps reinvesting in his failed in his flaws and his failure um but eventually he starts coming around to it and he does like legitimately change like for the good sort of thing and i think vegeta is by like far and away like the like the greatest character in that show um, even though like Goku is the kind of like, uh, you know, the, like the POV character, um, Vegeta is just like way better and way more interesting. Uh, okay. I don't really have much to say about that. Cause... Did you not have like, what were, what were like the things that you watched when you were a kid? Like what were when I was a kid, kid, uh, well, I mean, I guess this is more like middle school age. Like, did you watch, like, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Pokemon? See, I grew out of Pokemon pretty quick. No. Uh, I watched a lot of, uh, a lot of, like, like, my parents were, were fairly restrictive, so I watched, uh, a lot of the Learning Channel and the Discovery Channel. Um, like, Junkyard Wars was my jam. I love that show. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, uh, what is, I don't know, I don't even know what Junkyard Wars is. I believe it was a British show. There was a big, it was a bit, it was, uh, um, two teams... Um, that were, or it was two teams that was like a tournament style, uh, of like normal-ish people. And every week they were joined by an expert in the field of whatever they were building. Um, and then you had to run through a junkyard and pull parts and build it over like three days. Um, um, and of course the junkyard was not necessarily a normal junkyard cause you know, 
hey, turns out that, like, there were a bunch of things you needed for whatever challenge that we just have to be laying about in the junkyard. Um, but it was, like, it was kind of like a combination of, like, a like a hacker show, right? Like, you just kind of, like, like put things together. My favorite was a guy, there was, like, I distinctly remember a guy who was, like, who, like, built rockets in his backyard, and, like, his goal was to, like, launch himself into space at some point from his backyard. Um, very eccentric man. Um, but, like, uh, it was just, like, it was, like, a build, and, like, you, you, you competed against the other team, um, and it was, it was, it was, it was wonderful, right? Like, it was, it was a little bit educational, but it was super, you know, kind of like that, that level of like, oh boy, you know, like, like, uh, proto-reality TV and entertainment stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I watched a lot of Rugrats. Oh man, I loved Rugrats. Holy shit. That's interesting because, you know, like, I, I also had, um, uh, I also had, like, relatively strict restrictions on stuff that I was doing as a kid, but it was all video game related. Like, this is why my first console was, like, a PS2, and I didn't get in on, like, the ground floor of, like, the Nintendo era. But, like, when it came to TV, right, like, I couldn't watch a lot of TV. There were restrictions on how much TV I could watch, but I could basically watch whatever the fuck I wanted. Uh, so See, I, I had, like, a pretty unlimited television, but it was, like, PBS... Or TLC or Discovery Man, or the History Channel. So interesting. Yeah. Um. And then like cer- certain specific cartoons I could watch on. Uh, I don't know. Uh, and then I read a lot of books because uh, that's actually where a lot of like my first foray into kind of like Dungeons and Dragons was definitely R.A. Salvatore and uh, the the Dris Dorden series. Oh really? Yeah. Um, well, yeah, actually, I, was, I read was, a lot of books too, but they were all comic books no. because, uh, you know, like I didn't have a lot of time. Like I had restrictions on the amount of TV or video games that I could play. Um, I mean, video games was just like insanely restrictive because yeah. you, you need to buy hardware for that. And my family was like, no fucking way. Um, but uh, so, but like I could, re- you know, like, you know, what are they going to fucking yell at me for reading Spider-Man comics? And so the local library had like tons and tons of uh, like, like trade paperbacks since how i read like all these comics uh, i got into see some my local library had uh had like silver age collections of like the first issues mm-hmm. so like i read a lot of like i think i read like the original um green lantern comics and the original superman comics um as well as some random ones right like they had like um the trade paperback of like the uh the rubber man rubber man on Plastic the lamp Plastic Man, Plastic Man on the Lamb. Yeah, I know. Yeah, Plastic Man on the Lamb is actually pretty famous. Um, yeah, yeah, and it's, it had like that plastic cover. It was like like ring bound, I think. It was. Uh, um, Plastic Man remains my favorite DC superhero to this day. Not that I'm super <laughs> invested in DC, but uh, yeah, that was uh, quite the trip down memory lane. Did you have any final thoughts on that? I don't know. I was just, you know, you get it. Whatever. Um. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you'd like to write to us, tell us about how your childhood was destroyed by cartoons. You can email us at podcast at subdurfsplaygames.com or subdurfsplaygames at gmail.com. You can uh, uh, follow us on twitch.tv slash subdurfsplaygames. You can um, follow us on Twitter. You can uh, reach out to us and rate us on iTunes. Please do. We love those ratings. You can give us comments on SoundCloud and uh, anywhere else that you can find us, really, and we love it. Uh, so please do. 
Uh, I think that's everything I had. Buddy, do you have anything else that you want to promote? I have nothing else that I'm looking to promote. In that case, until next time, dear listeners. Until next time, loyal listeners.